0: Welcome to the I Am Vinyl Podcast. My name is Pete Larusa, and once again, I am here with Joey from the Rock Strikes 10 Podcast, and we're glad you're here tuning in, whether it's on YouTube or on cnjradio.com, or if you're a subscriber via Apple Podcasts, or if you follow us on Spotify. Either way, we're glad you're here, and for this episode, Joey and I are going to sit and discuss latest album by, as you can already see it on your device, Iron Maiden, with their latest album, Senjutsu. And I'm going to play some tracks from, there's the hype sticker, I'm going to play some tracks here from the Amazon exclusive, silver and black, 180 gram vinyl edition, I'll just show the back cover here as well.
1: Which cover do you like better? Let's start off with that.
0: I like the front cover better. Okay.
1: Yeah. We, we got that Eddie back in the day on the main Japan EP with like, yes. the, the Katana, mm-hmm. uh, but it never went full, like classic samurai Eddie. So this is kind of like this neat fan service. I think right off the bat, like, Ooh, we finally get the full nines. Like, so even just going with the, uh, the whole Eddie thing to start off. Cause that's everybody's first impression. So oh, yeah. right bat, I was like, I like that imaging. yeah well
0: that's the thing was you know the first time that you know the album cover was revealed you know how they were doing that slow reveal by posting up all the album covers prior and then leading up to this yeah Yeah, i was following and then as soon as they posted this up you know me the Verderami brothers and some of our other friends on a a thread on facebook that we've had for a few years we were just all in agreement and immediately it was just like you know we all loved the, the whole japanese theme and And I know that was another thing that we mentioned, too, was, you know, it's the first time they've done this since the Made in Japan EP from 1981, which actually just hit its 40th anniversary a few days ago.
1: Yeah, good point. And like I said, even then, it's really just a regular Eddie, like, Mm -hmm. holding the sword. It's not like, you know, it's not samurai Eddie. It's It's almost like he had killed a ninja prior to and just stole a sword afterwards. (laughs) Like this is like the Eddie that existed back in the early days of the old samurai ways, you know, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and I gotta I gotta point out too because it's kind of like sort of a a source of discontent for some Iron Maiden fans. But you know, Mm. some of those Maiden fans are like a little ticked off about you know why does he have these fangs sticking out, these teeth? You know, what's up with the fangs? Mm -hmm. I don't know.
1: I mean, at this point, it's like, as long as it's not Dance of Death, then shut up.
0: Oh, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, cause, okay, so that's, we yeah. can all agree that that's the worst cover. Yes. What's, what's your barometer? What's your top cover? Had to pick one. Gun to your head. The best Iron Maiden album cover ever? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm doing a little bonus question for you here. Live After Death. Okay. Yeah. That's. It's the first one I ever seen that really attracted me to want to know about the band. If yeah. you ask me right off the top of my head that's the first one that i think of right away is i mean that album cover is just one of the greatest album covers of all time sure what Absolutely. you said as far as you know comparing to, to dance of death yeah you have <laughs> n- nothing, nothing to say if you're gonna you know make these <laughs> comments about you know fangs and you know these little things about about this version yeah. of eddie that you don't like please please yeah. refer to dance of death and then get back to all of us
1: <laughs> yeah exactly like even like some of the quote unquote throwaway live albums that i really like like real live one real dead one uh even the dyington one like i'm fine with those covers like even before dance of death happened you know so like the fact that we got betrayed so badly on that one i think we're all still damaged from it so seeing that looks like a. I mean honestly this new one okay maybe it's not as cool as peace of mind or power slave. It's hard to break through that nostalgia glass window, you know, absolutely kind of like last glass ceiling. That's a better term, but it's not too far off from maybe being able to hang with those album covers if people really think about it. So right off the bat, I think it, the cover is a win. So I fully hmm. agree. That's when you start taking the cellophane off and putting the record on so let's get to that
2: part of it so
0: well yeah i just you know there's one more thing i want to mention there's you know there's also some other complaints about you know the, it's it's a boring album cover like because there's like nothing in the background like they're kind of like following this thing the last album cover book of souls and the book of souls live there wasn't very much in the background so this album very much fits in place like yep. if you're if you're shelving them on your cd or your vinyl shelf they, they they're, yeah. they're kind of uniform it,
1: yeah, I don't have, I have a problem. That. Yeah. I don't
0: have a problem with the stark black background and focusing on Eddie. Eddie yeah. is the centerpiece of Iron Maiden, right? Yeah, and
1: I yeah exactly. And I think maybe obviously there could have been an idea maybe somewhere early on to like hey let's do a scene. Maybe there could have been a scene there, but it's like if you're not gonna paint it, if you're not gonna rigs paint it anymore like Power Slave and have a cool front and back, then then don't do it do the best you can I guess it's just different times we live in you know So,
0: and that's yeah. the thing you you know you, you said it right there it's different times we're talking about a different band Derek yeah. Riggs is no longer in the picture and that's the other thing like yeah. a lot of Iron Maiden fans are just pining for you know Derek Riggs to come back and and you know work with Iron Maiden on these album covers obviously it's not happening you know he did his yeah. thing with the Brave New World album cover he contributed to that one you know Time moves on, you know, people move on, bands move on. Most importantly, that's the thing I want to talk about with this album. Bands move on. So, I guess with that being said, you want to start talking about the record itself?
1: Yeah, let's go for it, man.
0: Well, alrighty. So, let's start off with the opening track, the title track, Sinjutsu. And this one is written by Adrian Smith and Steve Harris and it totals out at eight minutes and 20 seconds. So right off the bat, we get a a long (laughs) epic to open the album. So I have some notes that I put down for each track. And so with this one, this is an opening track that is actually not up-tempo unlike many previous Iron Maiden albums where you you kind of know like, okay, this album's gonna start off with something very up-tempo. A lot of times it's usually the first single this album, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's pretty it kinda, unique in that it has this, like, very uh, dramatic, you know, slow-building opening track.
1: Yeah, and the uh, title Final, track. Final Frontier did that, too. So, like, at yes. least initially, like, they... And it goes into something up-tempo, but it's, like, this crazy cinematic build, like, more than they've ever done before. Yeah. It was a little off-putting, but I didn't hate it. Uh, but, yeah, the, the slower tempo of the opening track definitely, honestly makes it not one of my favorite opening tracks I've ever done. I kind of figured out early on after the first couple of songs, I'm like, okay, they're building to something, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, this is an album much like book of souls and some other ones they've done. It requires some patience and I'm not defending all of these choices. And I'll, we'll talk about them as we go on, but I kind of knew right off the bat, like, like I said, within those two songs, I'm like, okay, they're going to build up to something. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: that being said, it kind of, I didn't love this opening song, the title track, but I knew something was coming. So I didn't, you know, I didn't dismiss it right off the bat for that reason. So of course you Maiden, you're, here's one thing you can always expect because people still don't understand that they've gone Prague pretty much ever since really the ending of Somewhere in Time, which sure. leaves of course the Seventh Son being like, really putting your big foot in the prog thing. And so Mm -hmm. it's been like this for a while. So if you're going to talk about the first six, seven, eight records, you know, like it's already been there for a long, long time. They just went full bore with it once the reunion happened, basically. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I think that's why people love Brave New World so much uh, as far as the modern era of Maiden, because I think they kind of didn't want to scare people right off the bat. And it's got shorter songs on it, it's a great record, and maybe for that reason, people will tell you that, and they may not be wrong. But it's uh, you know, if you don't know by now, then what do you, what do you even bother commenting on it? You know, that's the part I don't understand.
0: Yeah, and you know, to your point about Brave New World, out of the modern era of Maiden, ever since Bruce and Adrian came back in nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my favorite Iron Maiden album of this era. Yeah, me too. You know having said that yeah they ever since a matter of life and death in 2006 they've really ramped up these long epic tracks so this has been going on for you know over 10 to 15 years yeah and we should mention too that they started recording this album and i think finished it in 2019 and the only reason it didn't come out earlier was because of everything we've had to go through with COVID.
1: I honestly just think they got an offer to do a lucrative tour. (laughs) So they probably put it on hold for that reason. Oh yeah. Let's go do that hits tour, which I wish I'd have gone to now. I I didn't. I, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't go to that last tour, but it looks excellent. And the live album is great. I love that live album. So great set list, but yeah, moving
2: on. you
0: talking about the the one from uh, Mexico city that came out earlier this year. Yeah. Another thing I want to mention is something that I have here in my notes about, the uh, title track here, the opening track. And we're gonna hear this again throughout other parts of the album. I'm interested to know of your thoughts on this particular part of the record that I heard immediately to my ears and thought, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. I don't recall really hearing this particular type of sound on many Maiden records, if at all, you know, maybe I've forgotten, I don't know. But it just, it stuck out to me enough where I felt like That's kind of new and unique for Iron Maiden. And it's these synths, which it looks like Steve Harris was in charge of all the synthesizers and uh, recorded all the synthesizers on this record. It's got some Somewhere
1: in Time vibes
0: for sure. Yes. On this particular track and on others, and credit to my brother here for helping me out here with the name of the sound being used here, I asked him, I said, have a listen to, I told him to listen to Stratego, because it also happens in there. So I said, can you tell me what this particular synth sound is? So on this track, throughout the choruses, you hear these high, these really high synth notes. They're they're, kind of airy, right? So I asked my brother about this, and he says it could either be a string pad or a string bell pad.
2: Hmm.
0: So I don't know if you notice it, but they're really mixed very high as far as overall, where it's almost like they're louder than Bruce's vocals.
1: Oh, for sure they are. Like that was one of the things I actually did write down, but I wrote it down so much that I didn't even have to go to my notes here. Is that, Early on, especially, I'm just not feeling Bruce as much as I feel like I should. Like, I don't know if it's health, but I know him to be a very strong singer still. You know, I saw the Book of Souls tour and he sounded awesome. So I'm like, what's going on? Why is he being buried in the mix? I mean, he it's the first made now where I could actually say that. And I, I don't try to be one of those production nerds, but it's so obvious here on this record.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why his vocals are... Because I noticed that too. And I know which parts you're talking about. Yeah. Do it it's so early on the record. Yeah, his vocals are kind of buried. But those synth notes... This is the question I have. Don't you think they're a little too loud in the mix? And it probably would have been nice... If I have a major negative to say about this album... And I know some other Iron Maiden fans have have expressed this. They're not big fans of Kevin Shirley's production. I'm not really one of those guys, but if I had to say one thing that I wish they would have paid more attention to is to bring those synth notes down a little bit. In some songs, they're mixed more appropriately. But in this song, and uh, I'll, I'll probably say it in a few more songs, but in this song, for sure, they're definitely a little too loud. And, you know, you're in the studio. You have... All this time you know to refine things yeah i think kevin shirley or whoever should have probably had steve do a few retakes to get the timing down (laughs) a little bit better because sometimes he's hitting the notes a little off like just a little bit off and it happens Mm. in other parts of the record and when you mix a sound like that so high it's going to be so obvious to the listener it certainly was for me so, I didn't even
1: notice that in my first couple of runs, but that's only because I was so distracted mentally by like, what's going on with Bruce here? Like, and people that say that Kevin Shirley is like a Steve Harris yes man, it's hard to not say that he's not when you hear a certain mix like this. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't service Bruce.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I, I'll we agree with that. You have a
1: nice balance. There should be a nice balance. If they want to put that on the track, yes, we should hear it, but it shouldn't be dominating. You know. It's, yeah, like a, just... it's like a bad TV drama score where the music's so loud. And you're like, oh, I get it, dude. I get it. Like, how come I can't hear the people talking? How come I'm just hearing the music now?
0: It, it feels <laughs> like, listen, <laughs> I've done this because, you know, like you, you find like a new sound like when you're recording something and yeah. or, or you, you, you come up with a, a guitar part or something that you really want to stand out in the mix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try as you might, you know, you put it up there, and you know somebody will inevitably tell you, no, it's it's too loud, or you know we should really bring that down. And then you're like, I'm you know thinking in terms of like working with like Jerry Farley with in the Space Beard Records when we did the Space Beard Records, and he had to kind of like you know tame me down a little bit <laughs> with certain things. Right. I just wish like you know Kevin Shirley could just be like, you know, we could take it down a tad. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? And, and plus, you know, like I said, have him play the thing on time. Why? Why you got you know? I'm sure I I can't imagine they were using analog. They were probably you know recording with like a a Pro Tools, you know, digital setup of some kind. Yeah, I can't
1: tell. I can't tell because most classic bands finally figured out like record on the two inch and then edit on Pro Tools. Like that's Mm -hmm. the way to make a classic sounding record. Van Halen did it on their last album, and Kiss did it on Monster. Like that's how you achieve that sound that you might be looking for. Because Pro Tools is easy to edit with. Edit with it. Don't record on it. I don't know what they're doing on this one. I, I really don't. But, like, with that kind of approach musically, like, there's so much going on. And I hate to say this uh, because I'm not the biggest fan of instrumentals, but that probably should have been an instrumental, maybe somewhere in the middle of the record or something. I don't know, like a bridge gap. And I even had a whole thing like, man, I, I liked Book of Souls a lot. I really liked Book of Souls. And I think it had really good balance to it. This one isn't. Like I don't know. I'm not in love with the sequence on this album. I almost feel like they should have broken them into two parts, honestly. And they've never done that before. That'd be kind of cool if they did it for the first time ever. There's so many mm. epics on this album. I know I'm kind of doing the broad review now, but I just keep that's all I keep thinking about when I go back to this record. I thought about it. I listened to it again this morning, and I'm like, this probably should be two albums spaced out a year apart from each other. And I think you have equal sounding songs that would belong on separate album releases, honestly. And maybe that's just because everybody's been talking about the user illusion anniversary this week, but yeah, I say, put it out a year apart from each other, because I think you could keep the imaging, like make it, you know, keep the samurai bit that way, you know, it's the same thought that way people can mentally understand, okay, this was all done basically at the same time. I really think that's what they should have done. Uh, because I I just don't know about some of the choices, like I said, in the mix, but if you have an instrumental that maybe even closes off that first record, and then you wait for that second album to come out, I don't know. I'm, I'm painting with broad strokes here. I'm laying a lot of track, but those are, those are like the, I guess if I have any negative things to say, like maybe I'd go with that because there's only so many of these you can do. I guess they just want to be just like, we just want hardcore fans. We want to be able to play big places still, <laughs> but just have yeah. a hardcore fan base. <laughs> That's what they're telling me. Like in this last 15 years, I guess.
0: Well, I think you and I probably view this album definitely a little bit differently just from, from the start here, this, this particular opening track. Yeah. I'll, I'll say when I first heard it, I don't think I was overly excited about it, you know, cause it, again it's not it's not an up tempo track you know it's it's this slow build but the more I've listened to the album and you know I know we discussed even before we hit record that I've Listen to it probably a, a bit more than you, just just because I've had more time to listen to it. Yeah,
1: it's so, like you said you've heard it about twenty times. I've heard it <laughs> two times.
0: Close, Well no, not not so, twenty. I don't think twenty times yet, but definitely so, over ten.
1: <laughs> so if anybody's going to trash me for my opinion, just give me the benefit of a doubt. A year from now, I could come on the show and be like, "Hey, this was a grower. It sounds yeah, cliche." Exactly that, that that's albums and, are like that.
0: Exactly, you know? that, and who? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that because there are certain songs on this record that. I would say, you know, they had the guy to kind of grow on me a little bit from listening to it more and in, within the context of the album. I think this song would fall in line as one of them. Like I said, yeah, at the start, you know, you're so used to a lot of Iron Maiden albums, you know, kicking off at full throttle, you know. Yeah. Invade us!
2: This...
1: <laughs> be
3: quick, I'll be dead!
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You All just, songs fun. songs like that, yeah, exactly. You know, we're like caught somewhere in time, you know. Yeah. A I Woon think we're child. Man. What? The Wicker Man, might the be Wicker my Man yeah, <laughs>
1: like on any of their albums, honestly, and I mean that. Like maybe like there's Where Eagles Dare, and then there's Wicker Man for me personally. So yeah, yeah. Anyway.
0: And I and I totally get that because you know we've kind of become conditioned to that. And then you mentioned the Final Frontier had its own very unique intro at the time. Yeah. So, but then like I said, and, you know the more listens I've had. Especially when I was, you know, putting together the the vinyl transfers and you know, certain songs like this one kinda grew on me a little bit more. So what I like about the opening track, I, I think the choruses are pretty strong. I think they have a good memorable melody. Again, I just think the the synths, they're just a little too high. Like give Bruce the stage. Steve, you yeah. know, hang out in the back, you know, you got the bass. <laughs> yeah. So you you know, you could you could turn down the synths, you know, you there doesn't have to be so much of you present, you know, in, in certain parts. But at the end of the day, I would say that this is a, a fairly strong opening track that sets the tone for the rest of the album So you know you and I may not uh, uh, fully agree on that but that is where I stand Joey. That's all right.
1: I respect your opinion and like I said it's that is an it's interesting because like I said, I might wind up putting this way up high in the catalog at some point uh, I'm not there with it yet but I I didn't hate it when I first heard it. I know that sounds awful, but I am still into it in the sense of like, I'll be sitting down with it more, be analyzing it. I've done the noise canceling headphone version and I've done the, I've done the out in the house version. So like, you know, I'll be doing more of those. And I'll I'll even do the, uh, I'll even do the walk track, which is a fun way to go, especially with Maiden albums. It's like Yeah. I've I've listened to
0: it while going on a long walk and I did the same thing.
1: <laughs> okay, so I still have yet to do some of those things. So,
0: all right. Well, why don't we move on to the next track? So the next track is actually the second video that they just released recently for the song Stratego. So I'm sure, a lot of people our age were familiar with the old board game.
1: I was gonna say Stratego. if they didn't have if they didn't have the full uh, you know demographic of like the nerdy Prague fans at this point it's like we're gonna get all the rest of you in just on the title of this song alone
0: yep you know i was joking around with my brother like as soon as i saw there was a song called stratego i was like i all i can think of is that goddamn board game you know that yeah. he had in the 80s with the old the old general on on the, the front of the of the board game you know with yeah. that big with that grin on his face like yeah
1: I look forward to their next first single off their next album called Dungeon Master. So. <laughs> all right, sorry. Yeah, sorry. We all think we're so funny. Okay.
0: <laughs> Bruce did mention the board game when when talking about the song, so it's clearly, you know, we're not the only ones, you know. I don't know if it's solely based on the board game, but you know, it it's surely partially influenced you know if he is he is mentioning it in you know interviews when he's talking track by track
1: i i don't think it's out of line to say that some fan probably came up to him at some point and was like man it's perfect to play stratego with the album a matter of life and
0: death yeah there you go i could see that too i could see that too for sure like done deal yeah so this song is written by Janet Gears and Steve Harris, topping out at four minutes and 59 seconds. And it's the first of only three songs under seven minutes or more.
1: So- Which, make, which makes it a single by default.
2: Yes, so. yes.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, as we mentioned, this is the, the second video that they just released recently, another animated video special. Yeah. Very cool video, I would recommend checking out.
1: Yeah. I like the song.
0: Yeah. This, and again, so I mentioned here the first up-tempo track on the record. Yeah. And once again, we get those synths a little too high Ooh, in the mix. Come. Like, yeah, I know. It's just like, oh That string bell pad once again.
1: And this is kind of a, you know, degree separation from Kevin Shirley because he worked with Rush before. So, But all I could think of was, are, are we smelling another Vapor Trails? Is this going to be their Vapor Trails? Like, mm. are we going to get a remix down the road maybe or something? I'm already thinking that way, you know, like. You know, I was like, because that's the one I've got. I've got that one. That's the one I have on vinyl. I got that too. That's a good record. Yeah. It just happened to be down here. How weird is that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: just happened to be there.
1: <laughs>
0: Wasn't in my notes. <laughs> I know that, like, I, I'm making this, this note about the synths and it's going to happen again. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But I don't know if it's going to be to the point where they're going to remix this album someday because of it.
1: But if you remix, you kind of admit defeat in a way. Sure. If, uh, why do you think Metallica
0: hasn't remixed Injustice for All?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you know, I don't and, and remix the record
0: da- because it will be admitting defeat, James.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Dave Stain did it the other way because he's a psychopath. So, you know, like yeah. that's
0: we can go all day on that
1: one. Oh, and we're gonna go to, we're gonna record a whole new episode right now. We're gonna <laughs> can this record no shit. That'll probably be more of a fan thing, like, you know, a fan mix somehow if they can just roll through some of these cool apps that we have now. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the best thing I saw this year. This is my sidebar for the episode. Uh, You know that guy that hit the piece of shit racist guy with the tea can in the uh, convenience store? And the guy took the sample of that and put (laughs) it like in, you know, garage band or whatever, made that the snare drum noise for this track he did. (laughs) I mean, you gotta love technology when things like that happen, at least, right? Okay. So, I, fed, anyway. I
0: did find some of those amusing, the ones that I did well, watch. <laughs>
1: tremendous, absolutely. Well, acy.
0: so I, you know, we we. I'm gonna agree. get that
1: guy to produce the next maiden record, actually. <laughs> maybe, so
0: so yeah, yeah, I guess we could both agree. Stratego, is a good song. Yes. I. I that, that's the
1: opener on my dream second album. Like <laughs> that's that's the one that opens up the second album that I have
0: in my pipe dream. So. Well, to that point, the last note that I made on this one was had they not released The Writing on the Wall first as their initial preview track mm-hmm. for the album, this would have been a perfect lead choice. Yeah. As a lead a lead single, a first video. Okay. So I'm kinda surprised in a way that that they did go with the writing on the wall, which actually happens to be the very next track. If you want to just jump right ahead here.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I'm, mean, You know, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I think writing on the wall is a tad catchier, honestly. I think it's, I mean, maybe it's because it's shorter and tighter. I, th- I believe it's a little shorter, but. No, this it's, one's, uh, a, it's
0: actually a little longer. A little um, longer. It's the one that's
1: like a minute longer than Stratego. I, I couldn't remember which one was longer. Yeah. So,
0: the writing on I, the wall. I- is written by adrian smith and bruce dickinson and it times out at six minutes and 13 seconds so yeah yeah. about a minute and almost a minute and a half
1: but i i I think it's probably the catchiest song on the record and i don't think it's a coincidence when you mention the writers on that either that's that's how i feel about it so i I like i and by the way i i love that era of bruce's solo career where adrian comes on board because oh it's great probably the best
0: best part of his solo career
1: great songwriting in there for sure and um anyway but yeah i just it gave me that feel maybe just because that's the perception you know but yeah i could totally see why that was the lead well, writing on the wall is i think it's a good enticement song for the album honestly it's almost a bit misleading in a way
2: yeah
0: <laughs> well I, I, I'll, I'll and I'll, I'll explain you know i guess look you know maybe i'm sort of like some of those older iron maiden fans that kind of I don't want to say I'm one of them who refuses to really embrace anything they've done after Power Slave. But I think in some senses, when Iron Maiden releases the lead single, I expect it to be bombastic, you know, up-tempo. And, you know, this is a conversation I know that I've even had with uh, Joe Malazzo from KISS Roundtables. And, you know, and at first, you know, we, we, we were all talking about this track and, you know, we thought it was a great track. I liked you know, liked the chorus, but there was it was just something about it that it wasn't really getting us like hundred percent fully excited just yet for this album. Yeah. Then I bought the album. Then you know, you, you hear the song a lot more within the context of the album. So again, it's yeah. kinda like what I was saying with Senjutsu, but with this song, way better. I mean, the writing on the wall, is one of the best songs on the album. I, yes, I would say please. it's it's a strong, it's a stronger song than Senjutsu. As far as, you know, comparing where, where I'm saying, you know, songs that didn't initially overly excite me as, as as a fan listening to the record for the first time or listening to a track for the first time as when it was a preview. Yeah. But over time and more listens, now I see it as one of those Iron Maiden tracks and singles that could stand up there with, with the very best of them and that can be, you know, memorable with time. And just some other notes here. This is the second... Of only three songs under seven minutes or more, yeah. and you know, for me, and I, I think you know, a few people probably f- felt the same way. I love the intro, and it just immediately gives you a feeling you're about to watch an old western movie. Yeah, and just one other thing that I want to mention, and I, I, I believe, I, I try to be really good at knowing like who's playing the leads. After so many years of listening yeah. to Maiden and watching the concerts, you know, you kind of get an idea like that's Adrian Smith, you know, that's Dave Murray, that, or that's Janet Gears. I think the guitar solo that hits exactly at four minutes and 24 seconds, I think it's Adrian Smith. That is absolutely one of my favorite moments on this record leading to the final chorus of the song.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't... I didn't even think, I never think about those things when I'm initially listening to the album. Like I, I kind of, honestly, I do miss the days where they would credit those things. Like I'm sure some bands still do that, but it's very few and far between. But I remember like, you know, growing up on the twisted sister records, like it's literally left channel, right channel, man. (laughs) Like, so like made it easy for me. Uh, but yeah, I never think about those things. I just, uh, I guess that's one of the fun surprise things that I just do now. When I go see them live, I'm Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's their solo. Yeah. I guess that's how I do it now. So I never think about that, honestly, but yeah, no, but I appreciate the dialogue. Don't get me wrong.
0: (laughs) As far as the track itself. I mean, would you agree with me that it's, you know, one of their, their strongest tracks of their overall career as far as single and something to be memorable?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing it live most shows. That's kind of how I look at, you know, songs that could potentially be there for the long haul, you know? I, I it's, it's they have such a high bar for singles in their mm. career. Like, you know, to me Wasted Years is one of oh. the most per- perfect songs ever. I think it that's is. I think that is the absolute peak of a single. If I'm going to put a representation of Iron Maiden on a compilation, for someone that has no idea who they are, I'm going to put that. I mean, I might think to put, like, Run to the Hills or Trooper. Like, to me, like, Trooper is the only other one that could probably hang with that. But they're two completely different types of songs.
0: Yeah, Wasted Years is the type of song you could play for that cynic that thinks, you know, heavy metal music is devil-worshipping music. and Yeah. Or just all that silly shit that went not,
1: on back then. Or just not catchy. Like, there's right. That's still the thing that they don't think that they write catchy songs. Yeah. Uh, like, I could find you Megadeth songs, Iron Maiden songs that will completely stay with you, you know, and be like, man, that has got a killer chorus on it, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. And it's not just because it's our opinion and our taste. Like, you know, you could play them for like any kind of musicologist, any music professor, and be like, that's a well-crafted song. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. And that's and if somebody wants to come at some of these more recent maiden albums with that, then I could definitely talk to you. Because like it's important for me to like be like, this is instantly memorable to me. But when we get into things like this kind of subgenre, you know, even though Maiden is a heavy metal band, they are obviously a prog band now as well. So They've, they've taken kind of some of the influence of the bands that they influence, all the power metal bands, stuff like that. And they're going more prog. That's just what they do now. So doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with pop music so much.
2: Mm,
1: right. And that's just the way it is. Like you're more about writing a, a line, like a guitar line that people hang on to and stuff like that. I think, I don't think it's also a coincidence at all. That Kevin Shirley really made his bones with a lot of rock fans producing dream theater albums early on in the nineties. Yeah. So it's just how it is.
2: Yeah. And it's Ready? a perfect
1: band for him to transition to like, cause this is a band that also has a decent pop sensibility
2: mm-hmm.
1: that also wants to write long songs. There's a balance there. Some people can pull it off and some can't more often than not made and pull it off. So. Yep.
0: Yeah. Can't really disagree. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I'm always going into the the long review, like it's like I'm gonna put it in a book.
0: No, or look, it, it gives it gives it gives context, you know, to what what we're talking about. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for
1: with color commentary and context. Context. <laughs> yes.
0: Dang. It definitely had to be said, you know, because you know we are talking about the lead single from the record here, the first thing that they they put out for fans to hear. Yeah. And you know, while it may be. Longer than a song like Wasted Years, while it may not have the type of chorus that Wasted Years has, I think over time it's it's going to become one of those tracks from this this era of Maiden that's going to be one of those standout singles. Did Adrian Smith write Wasted Years solely? Does he get a did he get a sole writing credit on that one?
1: I don't know if he's the sole writer. I should know that, but I don't know. So we'll tease that for next. I time. feel
0: like he did, and it was like oh. he, he had that one and and reach out and they chose, they chose Wasted Years, for the record, and, what, re- and reach I'm out. Gonna be, there you go. I could
1: be sitting right by it. I'm like, and, I'm then we'll, and then we'll get to the next to track as
0: soon as Joey reveals the answer. I think it's solely written by Adrian Smith.
1: You are correct, sir. Yes. It just says Smith here.
0: <laughs> okay, so whereas that's solely written by Adrian Smith, the writing on the wall, was a Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson collaboration. Yeah. But again, I I think they did a very good job on that one, especially, you know, the intro just sets that great tone and the the sound of the acoustic guitar. I I like the production on the acoustic guitar. It's very airy and ambient. So, again, I I think the song is a winner on this record and, you know, continues to set a good tone for the rest of what we're going to hear. So, having said that, we're going to move now into, I believe, the first really long song on the record <laughs> and it is lost in a lost world this one is solely written by steve harris one of a few that are solely written by steve and this one tops out at nine minutes and 31 seconds and so some of my notes here this is my absolute favorite intro on the entire album and i have some notes here that from just reading some interviews and Bruce Dickinson mentioned while discussing tracks on the album and which I agree with very Pink Floyd-esque intro with the sound of the acoustic guitar and the synths in the background. And I like the the use of a phalange effect on Bruce's vocals during the intro, along with some delays being used in perfect appropriate spots, along with the additional atmospheric background harmonies, you know, such as those faint ahs in the, in the background. In the, in the intro there. And, you know, you with this one, you were talking about Bruce's vocals. And this is one of those tracks where I really feel like you hear his initial set of vocals, whereas the ones that he probably recorded while the band was tracking the music. Because if I'm correct, they probably recorded and mixed this album similarly to the way they've been doing their records. Since a matter of life and death. You know, maybe they, they were rehearsing the track, then went in, recorded it, and, and mixed it, and did several takes and you know, with Bruce singing with the band. This song, I feel like you could really hear the strain in, in Bruce's vocals, probably doing take after take. And you can hear his initial live. I guess, you know, we would probably call it like a scratch track if we if like if were recording with Spacebeard. Right. But you, I feel like you hear some of those scratch vocals and then he went in and layered over those. On this particular track, I think you really hear it. And then the last note I have on this track, once again, those goddamn synths. They're <laughs> a little high and, again slightly off time in some spots it's kind of hard not to hear but overall this is one of my favorite tracks on the album and especially you know with that intro just one of those that as soon as i heard it the very first time it was one of my favorite tracks so like the first listen this was one of the tracks that stood out to me immediately so all right so let's move on to the fifth track on the album and for those who were you know Waiting for one of these really short Iron Maiden tracks. Well now you got one right here with Days of Future Past. Another track written by Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson. And this one tops out at a whopping four minutes and three seconds. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> but really again, this is this is the song that I'm sure. A few Maiden fans would rather have, you know, more of throughout these latest records, but we're not at that point. That's not how the band is these days, but, you know, just needs to be said, you know, just because it's kind of a glaring thing that, you know, fans know about as far as, you know, Iron Maiden isn't one to uh, crank out these short tracks anymore. So when we do get them and they're this short, it is pretty amazing these days. Mm -hmm. I do like the intro. I like the I like the guitar intro of this one. Obviously, yeah. shortest song on the record. And every other track is seven minutes or more. So, you know, this is a mostly up-tempo song. And I think the chorus is very strong and yeah. uses that opening guitar intro as the basis in the, in the back for, for the chorus. So I, I think that's a, a great recall to, to the intro, having that in the choruses as well. Interested to know your thoughts on this one.
1: I honestly, like, and I'm not just copping out here. That's everything I would have said about it. So I think okay. you nailed it. Good job.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's simple, short to the point, just like the song, you know. So yeah, I, I, I back this statement. I'll sign off on what you said.
0: Yeah. Again, I think you know if if this one is released as a single, maybe maybe a third single. I think this could have some longevity later on as far as, you know, Iron Maiden singles. So
1: yeah, no doubt. I mean, it'll be easy to animate. It's, it's, it's easier to animate four minutes than it would be 11 minutes. So I'm going to say that's probably the can't miss (laughs) third single. I mean, unless you're just going to get a loop, unless you're just going to get a loop like you do on Spotify. You ever see those things like the videos?
4: Oh yeah. yeah. Like
1: the same 10 seconds over and over again. It's like hypnotic, you know? So yeah. They change the flag color every few songs. So there, there's something to look forward to.
0: Well, let's yeah. see. You know, we'll let's predict it here. This is gonna be the next single and video from the record. So maybe maybe that's gonna happen. And you could say you heard it here first. Not any other show. Right here mm-hmm. on the I am vinyl podcast on C and J Radio dot com. So quick plug there. What's that?
1: Yeah, we got a new stinger now. I like it.
0: <laughs>
1: promo. A little promo for the show. Like...
0: Hey, see, it. Spontaneous promos. So as quick as that song was or is, I think we could move on to the next one because we pretty much have the same thought process on that one and really not much more to, to say on that one. So why don't we move on? I believe now we're moving into the, I guess you can call the second half of the record because there are 10 tracks. So the next track is called The Time Machine. This one is another collaborative effort between Janet Gears and Steve Harris, topping out at seven minutes and nine seconds. And so some of my notes here. I like the acoustic and clean air guitar intro. I think that's great to accompany Bruce's opening lyrics. I like the verses with the lead guitars matching Bruce's vocal melody. And this also seems to be a little bit of a source of discontent For some Maiden fans, they think this is lazy songwriting. I don't know. I just think if it works and it and it works to the ears and it's as catchy to the ears, I think I think it works. I don't think it's lazy at all.
1: I mean, to me, lazy songwriting is using like the shit that should never be used again, like loose lips sink ships and (laughs) tell me no secrets and I'll tell you no lies or any of that kind of horseshit. You know, like it's just stop times. But I'm just thinking, like you know, growing up and you're you know, in the ACDC crocus kind of, uh, umbrella, you know, it's like, can you, kicks, can you guys just stop using the, all those cliches? Like you got a book of cliches in the studio. Stop using them. I don't know where I was going with that, but it's not, a, it's not a terrible song. So, you know, it's unfairly maligned. If, if someone's calling it lazy, I mean, it's cruise control at worst, at worst, it's autopilot, you know? So,
0: yeah. I, it's actually one of my favorite choruses on the record. I think it's one of the the stronger choruses on the album. And there's another note that I that I was, you know, thinking about is you know, out of the many songs that have been written over the years between Janet Gears and Steve Harris, I think this this is one of the best.
1: Maybe it is that synth thing, but I just constantly keep getting like somewhere in time vibes. And Like even like the deepest cut on there that I can't remember the next day. No issues. Like I still like hearing them when I hear them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I don't. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know why it makes me feel that way, but just because I don't remember something like the next day or whatever doesn't mean it's like a bad song. There's just so much stuff lodged in here. I'm still singing "Wasted Years" over and over (laughs) again the next day or "Baby Shark" or whatever. (laughs) You know. I mean, like you know like just those those fucking earworms that get stuck in your head like there's there's only so much real estate i can put in this thing so like that's why we listen to these albums over and over again like kill off the other things like uh man anyway but you you see what i'm trying to say right yeah i i keep going back to not every maiden song is going to be wasted years and uh, in some some realm of thought, I'm like, well, that's unfortunate, but at the same time, like, you know, they're not going to do the same thing over and over again.
0: Right. And... I don't think you can expect that. You know, certain bands and we've said this time and time again, certain bands can get away with kind of recording the same album over and over and over again to a certain degree of success. I, I just, I don't know. I think if Iron Maiden yeah. continued on that sort of same sameness of the records of like Say the early '80s, before uh, I would yeah I would say before Power Slave, before they kind of started getting a little more into longer songs. I think it would have gotten boring. It would have just gotten predictable, and it would have been like, okay. Here comes the gallop, and here comes this. And here, you know, yeah. it, it's good that they've yeah. they they've pushed changed. it as
1: far. Yeah, they pushed it as far as they could. Right. Like, and then like the fact that I think they wanted to go longer and progier after seven sun. I think seven sun was the true bridge gap and I love seven sun. No,
0: it's one of my favorite records of theirs.
1: And the reason I love seven sun so much is probably one of the reasons that I don't like no prayer for the dying, like almost at all, because I feel like they dumb themselves down because they thought they had to. And that's always been Mm -hmm. my thing about no prayer for the dying is that, 'Cause there's elements of going back to what they were getting at on Seven Sun with Fear of the Dark. It's not all there. It's not a strong album top to bottom. But when it hits, yeah. what are the I mean, come on, what are the best songs on there? Besides Be Quick or Be Dead, I think the two best songs on Fear of the Dark are Afraid to Shoot Strangers and Fear of the Dark. Yeah. And the the fa- I think that's them like, okay, this is where what we really should be doing. So not every song is going to be instantly memorable, but that's what we're dealing with here now. You know, right? Like Dickinson didn't do that in his solo career either. You know, and Dickinson writes punchier, catchier things, but his albums are real good. I like listening to him. But then every now and then he'd be like, "It's in the tower," you know. It's like, yeah, there you go. But everything yeah. else is cool. It doesn't make anything else invalid. It's just a different kind of song. I know I keep I've said this over and over again today, but. You know, that's uh, that's really, if you're not willing to accept that in your music and you you don't like that, great. This is not your band anymore or it's never going to be your band. Yeah. So. That's,
0: and that's the thing, like, that's fine. I can accept people that if this just isn't their thing. Yeah. What I can accept is when it isn't their thing, but they want to question people like me and, and, and anyone else who has been, you know, following the band, for a long time, and you know, doesn't necessarily reject what they're doing. I hate this whole notion that you know, well, I was there in 1983 and I saw the real Iron Maiden. Who fucking cares? You know. Oh,
1: so, so they're they're touring under a hologram now? Did I miss something? Or... Yeah. Like,
0: so I'm sorry, I was born in fucking 1976 and I was only fucking yeah. seven years old in 1983.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and you might have been drunk so you don't know i'm just kidding uh but (laughs) no i mean it's like i I love the like oh yeah power slave i'm like oh you mean that one with the with ryan Yeah, exactly yeah it's like okay sure empire of the clouds is like twice as long i get that but it's the same kind of approach it's the same kind of journey that you're on like you know these these are musical equivalents to lord of the rings at this point like what yes was doing i mean like so when they did that and you lost your mind, it was okay then. But I right. guess they, they were just like, okay, if they do it every now and then it's fine. You know, it's like Metallica eased into that too. For sure. All their, like their, the average on hardwired was like six, seven minutes probably. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I, it's just, you know, like I said, I said this earlier on in the show. Nostalgia is a really hard glass ceiling to break through. So every one of these new albums that come out, they don't have a leg up on anything. The only leg up they have is any kind of anticipation that a really hardcore fan would have. Once you get past that point, like what I need to do, maybe getting past a year of this, is to be like, well, am I still going to want to pick it up a year from now? Okay,
0: well, I mean, before we get to the next track, let let me just ask this really quick. Did you feel this way about the Book of Souls and now that six years have passed, does that record feel a whole lot better to you as, as a whole? I mean, you mentioned Empire of the Clouds. I love that song. It doesn't feel yeah. like it's, it's, a, it's almost 20 minutes to me. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's so, it's so beautifully recorded and the piano and all. I mean, that song is just amazing to me. But what, what do you think?
1: I actually, I instantly love the Book of Souls record but that's because I think maybe because final frontier was a little underwhelming. It's, it's a, it's a yeah. pretty good record.
0: I could agree with that. It's
1: pretty good book of souls was like, okay, they stepped it up again. Mm-hmm. So that being said, this album following book of souls, I think that's why I'm having that kind of thing with it where, okay, I liked book of souls more than this initially. So, not being so much scared, but I just don't have a better thing to say. I don't have a better word to replace it with, but I, I didn't, inst- the fact that I didn't instantly love this record the way I did book of souls. And it's basically the same kind of record is where I'm kind of like, huh? So maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I'm, where I'm at as far as that goes, but All right. I listen to book of souls a lot and I still pick it up and Maybe it's one of those things kind of like book of souls even went up higher for me when I saw the tour. So let's say it comes to town and I see it and I'm like, okay, I'm hearing things in this song. Now I didn't before, Hey, there's less sense on this song. Cause they're playing it live. I know they have an offstage synth player and the only time they never hit the guy was brilliantly on the, uh, when they revisited the main England uh, set, uh, cause they had him up there in the, the, the riser. Right.
2: Area.
1: So like, you know, so but still like once i go through all of that and i'm not trying to be like an apologist here i'm just saying like when i heard this record i'm like this is not a bad record but i don't know what kind of record it is for me right now but that's kind of cool because it's not an instant thing sometimes you know that's that's what art is sometimes it's not yeah. instantaneous i'm sure plenty of people have like their favorite movies of all time maybe the first time they didn't get it Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that hated The Big Lebowski when they first saw it. Now it's one of their favorite movies.
0: Wow, really? Somebody actually really hated that movie? Well, it's not so much to the
1: hate, they were just like, what is this? Yeah, and it I is. Thought, it is strikingly
0: odd at first, I'm sure. For, for, you know. I, I think it was Kevin
1: Smith that he went and saw that movie with Chris Rock when they were filming Dogma, and Chris Rock just yelled out in the middle of the movie, they just made a Cheech and Chong movie. You know, It's like, <laughs> and when you go back and watch it, it's not a Cheech and Chong movie, but you're like, Huh? You know, like, so. That's all I'm trying to say. I've been just kind of saying it over and over again in different ways for the last hour or so. But, you know, some sometimes art is growing, and I'm kind of weirded out by the fact that I didn't like this as quick as I did Book of Souls. So,
0: maybe it would be fun to do like a follow up someday, even if it's like a yeah. few minutes when we're talking about another Iron Maiden record. Yeah, you
1: know, so. we'll do like the Maiden catalog at some point you know
0: oh I yeah mean,
1: I mean by this point you'll be done with hey why not I mean I'm putting it out there you, you'll be I want to do the maid I
0: want to do Iron Maiden round tables you know yeah. some of the some of my friends know about it you know who you are
1: yeah that so, could be a that might be the way to go yeah all right
0: well the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll say about Time Machine before we move on to the next track
1: there's not as much Ryan James Dio on it I no, there's that,
0: definitely yeah. not enough Ronnie James Dio on it. Yeah. If they could have resurrected him somehow or they could have used the hologram yeah. with his wife's permission, then perhaps we could have had some fucking Ronnie yeah. James Dio. <laughs> yeah. Just but, a
1: little sample. Yeah.
0: A, living in a, a little, time. little bit. A little, just a smidge. Yeah. So, But the uh, the last thing I wanted to say about the track is I, I really like the great unexpected breakdown that occurs at 4 minutes and 30 seconds leading to the guitar solos. So another yeah. One of those great Iron Maiden quick surprise transitions that you know you would probably say they might be borrowing from some of the more modern day prog bands.
1: Yeah, but when they when it's when it's on, it's on. Like, mm-hmm. I like when those that kind of things come in. Like that was, and I'm glad you mentioned that particular breakdown. That that's a real high part of the uh, record for me.
0: So, okay. Yeah. Well, there we we agree on that. So that's that's good. At least we, <laughs> yeah, we, we we have some common ground here. Yeah. All right. yeah. So let's move on, let's move on to the next track. And now forget about any, any short songs. Those are done. Oh yeah. we're From here on out, we are in full epic mode. And this is the shortest track of the last four. And we're talking about darkest hour. Another track written by Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson. This one tops out at seven minutes and 20 seconds. And I believe this one is very reminiscent of other tracks written by Smith and Dickinson reminds me of something that could have been on one of Bruce's solo albums or could have been on an album as far back as you mentioned it before fear the dark. And this is for Andrea. This song could have been on there instead of a song he hates called wasting love. (laughs) He's still not
1: an honest man. Is he one of these days he'll be an honest man.
0: One of these days, but right now he fucking hates that song. No. He hates hates the video probably even more. Anyway, I like the guitar solo section. I think it's great in this track as well, and just you know, very dramatic choruses between the vocals and the synths behind them.
1: So yeah, you're right. This could have been on Fear of the Dark, or it could have been on Balz Picasso.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It wouldn't have been out of place on either of these records. So that's all I need. Be like, okay, yeah, that's thumbs up for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very dramatic song, right? You know, it, like yeah. well, even the stuff with the water in the beginning and and at the end, yeah. whereas it's fading out, it's just you just picture like this like you know dramatic scene taking place. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun, like all that stuff. Yeah, you know, you, you picture them playing live and they have like a you know like an orchestra behind them. Yeah. Just you know, really, really well done. If they were trying to achieve like this uh, cinematic, like, like landscape for this track, they they nailed it here.
1: Yeah, and I'm definitely giving Maiden a pass. You know, like in that kind of a sense. Because if I'm listening to some like random European power metal band, I'd be like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> but I'm like, "No, this is great. It's fucking Maiden, baby." <laughs> so okay. I, mean, I know that's I know that's wrong, but. Hey man, <laughs> they earned it. They earned that shit. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, I think, you know. then some. <laughs> they have earned it at this point. I mean, man, they've been around for over forty fucking years. Forty at this plus. Point.
1: Forty plus years.
0: Yeah. You know, all the all the lineup changes before you know, Maiden became Maiden. I mean, especially Steve Harris. I mean, he's earned it. If anything, shit. When did he start Iron Maiden? Like nineteen seventy five.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the initial yeah.
0: like. You know, Smiler and all, all that. Yeah, Smiler. God, and smile, yeah. I mean, just think about Not that. that early.
1: That earlier's DVD is great. Oh, the, I love it. I wish
0: one. you know another sidebar. I wish they would continue with the uh, you yeah, know the the, really the, um, never really been doing the documentaries. documentaries. That's the series that they ended off at. Um, yeah. They ended right before Bruce is about to leave the band. It's like, I fuck. know. Come on. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I guess they're like, do we need to resurrect Ray's in Hell? Uh, yeah, but maybe we can get like one of the, uh, maybe we can get the Donington show or something, something like the French show that they use some of it for. One real of life. the
0: worst DVDs of all time.
1: Yeah. It's so <laughs> bad.
0: If I could do like the hype guy voice, like hyping that. Oh yeah. Don't buy this. It is the, oh, the- absolute worst of all time. Maiden fans call it a total piece of shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. I mean, the subtext that people have analyzed that in retrospect, the death at the end and all that, like, it's...
0: it's Andrea Verderame was quoted as, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) (laughs) Shitburger? All right, let's move on. And once again, as I mentioned before, we're really in Epicville now. Forget about it. These last three tracks all 10 minutes plus. So the first one here, this is also with these last three tracks, these are all written by Steve Harris. So this is the first one of the last three solely to be written by Steve Harris. And the title of this song is Death of the Celts. And it tops out at 10 minutes and 20 seconds. And for me, a big highlight of this song are those Celtic guitar sections, which first begin at five minutes and 14 seconds. Again, one of my favorite moments on the album as a whole. And a great long section of guitar solos, very reminiscent to me of something we might have heard on, on Power Slave. And to me, another great intro and outro, yeah. bookending everything that's in between everything throughout all 10 minutes and 20 seconds of this epic yeah. track so and, what do you think
1: and, yeah and by the way like I, I kind of look at these last three songs as kind of like one thing but they do have their own style uh but one thing that's decently consistent i think at least in two out of the three songs if i'm not mistaken and you know i'm sorry if my memory is a little fuzzy but i actually have and probably because of my enjoyment of book of souls i've really been enjoying that steve harris approach where he's just strumming on the strings like mm-hmm. That's really neat. And for a guy that's always played with his hands, like the fact that he's doing that now after playing for a hundred years and being one of the best finger playing, you know, finger picking bass players of all time. And now he's like, I'm going to strum this thing like an acoustic nylon guitar, like a, like I'm just playing in a, you know, a Tex-Mex restaurant somewhere on a Saturday (laughs) night. And, but I dig it. I really dig this new sound that he's found and I think it really adds a really cool layer to these epic songs. Not that I needed never one of these epics, but to kind of hear it every now and then now that's triggering my memory of like, Hey, my favorite song on book of souls has that on there. But I just think it's a cool little thing that he's doing now. And the fact that he's, you know, changing it up a little bit, not, you know, not doing the same stuff over and over again. I really like that approach. This this one and the one after this are my favorites of these long songs on there. You know, the last song is good, but I think it's kind of, it, this might have to be one of those records and I'm going to do another broad bass jump here for this, but this could be one of those albums where I might do that. Listen, where I listen to just one song a day. And hmm. because man, these three songs in a row, it, it, it'll wear you out. It'll probably it'll probably finish finish off most people, but I was really into these last three songs. But the first two I think are the strongest. Uh, but yeah, great stuff. I, I'm I'm you know I could it's talk more the, bass stuff.
0: But yeah, if I just try to add up the times in my head, talking like thirty three minutes for three songs. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. But honestly, yeah. to me, they, they they go by fast. I don't know why. And I've seen people say this about the record. It doesn't feel like it's eighty one minutes or a little over eighty one minutes. Right. It doesn't feel that way it, to me, and I listened to it again this morning before you know we got together here to record because I just wanted to refine my notes and you know listen out for some other things that maybe I might have possibly missed. And again, I was just like, wow, you know, the record still really goes fast for me after you know ten plus listens. So let's move on to the second to last track. Another big epic written by Steve Harris. This one, I believe this is the longest song on the entire record. I At believe it. 12 right. minutes and 39 seconds. And the title of the song is The Parchment. So some of my notes here. Great yet eerily disturbing intro and outro with Steve Harris's bass to the point that you were saying before, along yeah. with the guitars and synths. And when the drums kick in. To me, it sort of becomes Maiden's version of Led Zeppelin's Cashmere, at least to me. Another great showcase of all three lead guitar players during the midsection of the track and great up-tempo section beginning at nine minutes and 54 seconds with more guitar solos that gradually lead into the outro.
1: Yeah, good build, good peak right there at the end. Uh, no complaints at all. Uh, probably along with Riding on the Wall, my favorite song on the record. These, these, Like I said, these last two are kind of tied. Top three, for sure. Like, writing on the wall in these last two, or these, you know, these first two of the last three. <laughs> what am I trying to say? <laughs> anyway, you see what I'm trying to say, right? Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Full disclosure for everybody listening, I didn't make a ton of notes here. I was just trying to go off, you know, what I was feeling, because I knew Pete would bring the, uh, the science, and I appreciate that, Pete. Uh, but yeah, like, that's really just going with the gut here and it's like fine that was uh that was what i was hoping it would and this really sparked me into the record like i said writing on the wall you know some of the shorter songs did get me a little bit more but uh hearing these these two songs in a row here towards the end i was like okay this justifies like the approach that you were taking here like these songs are about they're not just long songs for the sake of being long they've got killer layers to them I, the musicianship is top flight. I like those songs so much. I was like sitting there, like being nervous for the last song. Like, is it gonna hit the? Is it gonna finish it off, or is it gonna be kind of a letdown? I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure where I'm at with it because I'm just. They're so crazy and epic. And then like you, you get another one right after that. It's it's yeah. It's insane. Like yeah. I don't own a lot of albums like this. You know, it's like no, me neither. You know, I, I referenced in the court earlier. And, you know, there's a couple of quickies on there. And it just kind of goes up and down and up and down. But they don't have three 10-minute-plus
0: songs in a row. Yeah. Insane. Prague isn't really one of the main genres that I would say that I listen to and own. So, yeah, this is definitely a a unique one within my entire music collection. I mean, yeah, I have the the collection of Rush records back there you could probably see in the crate. And, you know, I I do listen to, you know, some other bands like, like Dream Theater. But I'm not, like, a huge frog fan right. but the bands rush, that
1: do it rush didn't write terribly long songs consistently is the thing right there's not one rush album in the world that does this it's just like right. it's like it's crazy it's insane
0: yeah so, if they had you know a bunch of 10 minute tracks they were probably you know five tracks on the album
1: yeah exactly <laughs> not,
0: not 10 <laughs>
1: Yeah, as in Clarissa the steel's like that, isn't it? Like it's right, but it, well, it, it, plus you know you're, you're
0: considering the time. You know, the bands were probably told records got to be like 45 minutes, guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maiden's
0: just I, like buy do what we want now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, double CD, double album. Like the fact that they have that much confidence in their fan base is kind of an interesting way of being like.
0: Yeah, we can kind of just do whatever we Especially want. Especially since so. you know, like the Kiss fan base, a lot of fucking fans are finicky. There's just yeah. no other way of putting it. And that's yeah. fine. But just, yeah. you know, like I said before, don't try to fucking ruin it for everybody else, you know, who enjoys the yeah. goddamn records.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like they, they're almost though to the point where it's like a Pearl Jam or Grateful Dead kind of thing, like where they could go out there and, and have a different set every night and their fans would go, this is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. like
0: they're. Oh, you they see don't... those fans a lot. Like oh, I love the live show, but I hate the new records, but they still go to the show.
1: That That is the thing too. I think it's definitely more so the rest of the world. It's not as much in America. Like, if they were going to do, if they're going to have that approach, they'd have to play like more like Coliseum size than arena size. Cause mm-hmm. they could, they could do arenas easy here, but they'd have to promise you hits. You know, they can, they can kind of quote unquote fool them so many times to where people are like, well, I won't go back and see that if they're going right. to do that. Like, the final Frontier tour was one of those ballsiest things ever. So it just makes me think of that when I see what they're doing with these records all the time. I'm like, yeah, we're going to play, we're going to do the shit we want. Yeah, we'll throw in a couple of short songs, but that's not really our thing nowadays. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the album closer. And just as we've been saying repeatedly, a final epic to close out the album. Solely written by Steve Harris. This one, a little bit shorter than The Parchment, topping out at 11 minutes and 19 seconds. And the song is called Hell on Earth. For me personally, my second favorite intro on the entire record. That's a good one. Great use of Bruce's vocals matching the guitar melodies in the background during the verses. To me, they can easily get stuck in your head. The simple David Gilmore-esque guitar leads that are repeated throughout this song in various places. For me, definitely some of my top favorite moments on the album. You know, things like you know, sections yeah. like that. I love that shit. So those parts get stuck in my head all the time ever since this record came out. Yeah, it section,
1: it's, it's really
0: cool. Oh, oh, and, oh and live, you, you just brought it into my head. When they play that song live, Fans are just going to be going along with that, with that melody. Soccer
1: hooligan chant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maiden's good at that. So sections for me here in this song where Bruce is singing love and anger, life in danger, lost in anger, life in danger. More of my favorite moments on the album. The last time this occurs is especially great leading into more of those David Gilmore-esque guitar leads which also signals the end of Bruce's vocals on the album and leading into the final two minutes and 14 seconds of the album, where is that really slow fade away? And again, my opinion, if Iron Maiden fans were hoping for a modern-day classic album closer along the lines of past successes like "Howl Be Thy Name, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Fear of the Dark, honestly, I think this is the one in yeah, this I mean, modern, I, in this modern-day yeah. era. And you can't
1: discount uh, Empire of the Clouds either. Like, no, no,
0: I'm not discounting that at all. But like
1: that one's so uh, insane. I thought that it was going to be the last album they ever did. Like, right. and, and this could be the same kind of thing. Like maybe they are approaching every, even if they don't say this is our last album, I, maybe at this point, especially nowadays, you see the way things have been going the last few years. That's got to be the approach. Like we're going to end it in the way that if people said that's the last song they ever put on a record, it makes total sense.
0: And I agree with that. If this is the last studio track they ever record, what a hell of a way to go out, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I,
0: I think like, you know, you said like empire of the clouds, the only difference I see with empire of the clouds and this one, as far as becoming, you know, later on, like a modern day iron maiden classic that you could say in the two thousands, you know, Empire of the Clouds is, is such a long track, not that this one is much shorter, but I think because of the fact that it is, you know, 11 minutes versus what's Empire of the Clouds, that's like that's like around 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little bit more in Hell on Earth that I think would have more lasting, memorable staying power. Like like the parts I mentioned before, love and anger, life and danger, like things like that. Like I said, you know, things like, you know, fear the dark, like, you know, you you never can forget those tracks are are iconic and embedded in in fans heads i definitely think that this has the potential you know with with time to become one of those tracks empire of the clouds you know that is one of the greatest album closers for sure that they ever recorded it's definitely one of my favorites but i think this one just has a little more of the staying power because again again it is shorter and there's a little more you know parts that are going to that are going to stick in your brain you know a little bit faster and you know remain there more with time
2: yeah. yeah
0: so there we have it we've gone through all 10 tracks and again for me personally i think this this is a great effort overall it's not a perfect album but i think some of the harsh criticism it's getting uh, i don't know I, I can't really agree with it i i think it's it's a it's a great effort for me personally i listen to it back-to-back with Book of Souls, because I also wanted to know for myself, you know, which album do I feel is better? Because, you know, I think a lot of us do that. We compare the the previous album. You know, like you said before, Final Frontier versus Book of Souls. You know, no question, Book of Souls. Yeah. I really, you know, sat down with these two, listened to them back-to-back, and at the end of, you know, my listen to both of them back-to-back... I thought Sinjutsu was just a little bit better overall than the book of souls. And I don't think it's because it's fresh. It is a brand new record. You know, I try to, you know, remove those blinders and, you know, things like that where, you know, it's new and, you know, you're just hearing it now, you know, for less than a month. Whereas, you know, you've been listening to the other record for six years, but I, I truly think that they outdid themselves with this one. I think the production is a little bit better, despite Mm. my little notes about the synths. Mm. And despite the fact that so many people are, you know, giving Kevin Shirley a hard time for his production. And, you know, I I agree with certain things that are lacking in the production, but I think overall, when you listen to it in headphones, when you listen to it, especially on vinyl, I think this record shines through a bit more the book of souls all around production songwriting and the song structures so
1: yeah. i'm gonna do a back-to-back listen with both records too I- i'd like to do that actually okay. you've convinced me to do this
0: yeah i mean if and if we're talking like you know the five star rating scale I, I have to give this album four stars and you know just on a presentation standpoint like holy shit you know great great album cover art you know the inserts and everything i mean you really couldn't ask as an iron maiden fan for a better production job and better effort you know especially if you know you think about dance of death
1: (laughs) yeah but like overall packaging every time out of the gate maiden is a top five band when it comes to like man you really just kind of want to own all of it like Mm -hmm. i i honestly didn't feel the need to ever own the blaze stuff but the way that they like make that packaging and like, you know, doing the genius thing with the face on the, you know, the spine and everything. And even just the album covers themselves. It's like, you feel like you got to own it all. Yeah. Top top five packaging of all time. It's one of those bands, just like Scotty and said before, if that first album didn't look the way it looked, maybe I would have never picked it up. If I hadn't seen peace of mind in a record store when I was four years old, I, I may not have the same kind of feeling about bait. So it's yeah. an important thing. So right there on the surface, The album cover's killer. The music does deliver more often than not. If you know how to save a few bucks and, you know, flip a few records to justify like a 50 plus dollar vinyl, then yeah, I get it. You know, it's a neat piece of art for sure. Just like Book of Souls.
0: Very well said. And I couldn't agree more. So I, you know, I was saying, you know, jokingly before we were recording that, you know, this uh, record and the packaging, it's, a bit of a task, you know, to, to sit here while I'm trying to talk and, you know, display the contents inside, but we can, however, try a little share screen since we are on Zoom, and I do have the pictures of the contents inside the Amazon exclusive vinyl, and I'm going to give this a little shot here now. I've never done this on the show, so for those watching on YouTube and those that are listening, you... Might want to check in on my YouTube channel, Pete Larusa 28, and search the I Am Vinyl podcast, and you can see all this content that I'm about to show now. There we go. Hey. So this is my post of the record when it first arrived, and threw it up on my Facebook and on the I Am Vinyl Facebook page, which I encourage everybody to look for us, and we will add you We are a private page. We are trying to keep away some of the uh, trolls and assholes that Joey and I have dealt with on other sites. (laughs) There's the back cover. And there's LP number one there. So it is a silver and black marbled vinyl edition, but it looks a lot more silver. I don't really see a lot of black, although... Other records in the set are definitely darker. So that's where I think there, there's more of the black in effect. But you could see here with yeah. this picture with all the center rings, all six of them, you could see the different varying colors of each final record.
1: I like the middle one the best. That's my, that's my favorite. But that kind of greenish almost. Kind oh, of the color.
0: green one with the one here? Yeah,
1: yeah I dig that. The third yeah. picture, yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I, I really like what they've done here. They did this... With Book of Souls too, you know they gave yeah. you unique center ring labels on each record. Yeah, you know you have uh, Eddie on the the front side, and you have the track lists on the back sides. Yeah. And then you know right here, look at all this. I mean, yeah. yeah, the the triple gatefold inside is just one of their greatest pieces of artwork. I think yeah.
1: they're on such a roll, man. Between Book of Souls, the Mexico City live album, and this, they're just on freaking fire. Web packaging.
0: Yep. So there you have it. That was the Amazon exclusive triple silver and black marbled vinyl. And so, you know, Joey, we have to actually pick out which songs we're going to play. So we want to make this a favorite five, and we'll choose our favorite collective tracks. And that's what we'll play right now. Yeah. Okay. Since we're going to make this partially an album review show, partially an I Am Vinyl favorite five... These are the five tracks that Joey and I have chosen to represent this pressing, the Amazon-exclusive silver and black, marbled 180-gram vinyl, and the tracks we're going to play right now are as followed. Stratego, The Writing on the Wall, Lost in a Lost World, Days of Future Past, so four songs in a row that are actually in succession on the record, and we're going to close with the album closer, Hell on Earth. So, let's play those tracks right now. All right, I am back and that was Stratego, The Writing on the Wall, Lost in a Lost World, Days of Future Past, and Hell on Earth from the Amazon triple 180 gram silver and black marbled vinyl edition of Iron Maiden's latest record, Senjutsu. Just another quick note before I close here, this album happens to have their highest charting debut ever on the billboard top 200 albums chart as just a few days ago it was revealed that the album would debut at number three and in terms of physical sales i've seen it's actually number one for the week so i guess with all the the streaming and all the other various statistics that currently make up the billboard top 200 albums chart maiden didn't quite have enough to hit number one on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, but apparently, as far as physical sales, they were number one for the week. So, another pretty big achievement for Iron Maiden this late in their career. Joey had to take off, as he had some prior commitments that he had to get to, but I thank him for his time with this album review episode, which I really enjoyed, and I hope those that are watching or listening also enjoyed our thoughts, and, You know, you don't have to agree with us, so if you have any comments, please feel free to comment below on the YouTube video. Once again, we do have the Facebook I Am Vinyl page that I had showed a little earlier, so if you'd like to become a member, you could send me a private message on Facebook. And as always, I'd like to encourage you all to check out our other shows here at cnjradio.com. The Wrestling House Show, Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic Empire, Talking Rock, and The Last Theater. So once again, thank you to Joey for joining me here on this album review of Iron Maiden's latest record, Senjutsu. And I hope any Iron Maiden fan who decided to tune in, at least if you don't agree with us, you appreciate what we've had to say about the record. So that's going to do it for me here with this episode of the I Am Vinyl podcast. And we're going to be back very soon with the next episode as I plan on recording it within the next few days. So until then, we'll see you next time. And we thank you once again for tuning in here at the I Am Vinyl podcast right here at cnjradio.com.